Girl, I fucking love you. How the fuck are you? Girl, I fucking love you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we were just having an off-air gushing session about how wonderful the other is and how much we love each other. Yeah, because like in case you think it's an act, it's really not. Like we It's really not. We just do this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's like, girl, I fucking love you. You know, yeah, it's not an act. Uh, I'm not that good of an actor. I'll say that. It's a nonstop love fest. I mean, how could you not? Fuck. Same. I just said. (laughs) Who wouldn't love you? Like, how could you not? Uh, You're so wonderful and lovable. You're so wonderful. How are you? What the fuck? What's going on? I'm great. My crazy week is over. Amazing. So I have like a week coming up where I like one event for work and I just get to like work from home the rest of the time. And I am so looking forward to it. My apartment is a disaster. So it's going to be mainly chores for like 90% of that time. But I'm like weirdly into it. Girl, I love it. I am determined to eliminate as much of the glitter and sequins (laughs) from my (laughs) today. It never ends. I mentioned this to a friend of mine who said that they knew someone who was a drag queen. And then when they passed away, you know, they sold their apartment or whatever. Like someone took over the apartment and they like uprooted the floorboards to like just oh, get like new floors. And it God, was no. just covered in glitter and secrets. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I feel seen. It's not that bad, but it feels that bad, but it's not that bad in my apartment. No, that is my nightmare. If you send me a glitter card, Thank you. I know it's the thought that counts, but like secretly I will be just like fuming inside because I can't. It's just everywhere. Everywhere. It's like a part of me now. And it never ends. Yes. No. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like I have uh, like glitter lung and shit. Like it's it's everywhere. You can never escape it. <laughs> that actually reminds me. I was working the Islanders game the other day Mm -hmm. and a piece of confetti from the billy joel concert on new year's i love it when that happens i love it when that happens onto the ice and i just like had had to stop myself from hysterically laughing the backup goalie was like trying to like hit the confetti with to no 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 success i love it i was just like oh you can't escape it it's fucking everywhere confetti glitter like never ends it's just part of you we all have to accept it. Um, I love that. I love when that happens so much. It really cracked me up. <laughs> I had a good little little chuckle to myself about that. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. How was your week? What have you been up to? It's been good. Not super eventful. I did decide to start rewatching The Jinx. It's like that time, I guess, randomly. Part of that was... <laughs> Part of that was inspired by the fact that I was having a really shit day the last couple of days. And my my fella is really wonderful and understanding and, and just understands me and gets me as a human being. And I was telling Amy this off air, but we're both very busy individuals. So sometimes how we see each other is just one of us walking the other to work. Adorable. You know, it also helps that he lives in the neighborhood, makes it also very convenient love affair. Yeah, I can't walk you to work because that is very long trek. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Would love it. But yes. Yes. So I'm walking him to work and he has a his office situation is on 42nd Street between 9th and 10th. And so we're coming from like the 50s and we're walking down 9th Avenue and he has us cut up 43rd Street. And I'm just going off about whatever, you know, bullshit that I'm going through right now. And he goes, is this your favorite block? As we pass Douglas Durst's brownstone apartment. 
And I know exactly why he's saying it. And I'm like, also, I don't think he's like a true crime person like at all. So he, just, he looked this up. Yeah. And he just listens to the podcast and is so supportive and wonderful in every possible way. And I was like, did you cut up through here just to make me feel better from my shit like 24 hours? He's like, no, I always like, I prefer cutting up here. And I was like, no. Yeah, but you mentioned it. He knew. You know what you're doing. He knew. That is marriage material right there, ladies. I mean, That's all girl, I'm saying. Like That and he doesn't want to take me camping. Hello. Put a fucking yes. ring on that shit. Yes. So yeah, just find yourself someone who'll walk you in front of Douglas Sturt's brownstone <laughs> when you're having a bad day because he knows uh, what that means to you. Oh, he's the best. Oh my God. If he proposes to you there, I will <laughs> lose it. You got proposed to at an Alamo draft house and I get proposed to from Douglas Sturt's fucking brownstone. Um, that would be incredible. That tracks. So yeah, so that then I was like, you know, it's been like a minute since I rewatched the Jinx. So I started rewatching it because I rewatch it like every like six months. It's so fucking good. I actually haven't seen it in a couple of years. I might need oh, to, girl. Uh, to throw that on. It's so good. It's it so is. Good. I mean, it's like hands down my favorite documentary ever. Absolutely. I was thinking You can't that beat the night. ending. Literally, you no. cannot beat the ending. I was like, what the fuck was everyone who watched The Staircase watching? Because the Jinx is where the fuck it's at. Yes. He incriminated himself, and the day after the final episode dropped, he got arrested. Yes, girl. Ah, so fucking good. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's insane. Yeah. Also, shout out to two friends of the pod, uh, Julie Malo, who we are completely obsessed with and makes all of the fun custom. Yes. Our fuck clutches. The fuck clutches, which are incredible and iconic. And- Sam, who is uh, the bartender who works at the Gaff, who we adore. I love her. Both of them separately got engaged recently. Oh, my God. Congratulations, ladies. Fucking congratulations, ladies. Welcome to the club. So happy for the two of you. (laughs) That's right. You're an Amy's club now. Fuck. Be prepared for a million fucking questions about your wedding that you're not prepared to answer. Or maybe you are. Maybe you're better than me. I was not prepared. I didn't realize there was going to be an interrogation. I mean, yeah, you're still not prepared, girl. No. (laughs) It's very embarrassing now, too, because when it first happened, it was like I got away with being like, I don't know. I'm going to wait a little bit. But now they're like, wait, how long has it been? I'm like, uh, like a year and a half. And they're like, oh, you don't don't have anything planned? I'm like, "Mm, No. (laughs) Sorry, I don't, yeah. Yeah, girl. I don't have my life together, as we've established. Like, no. I mean, who among us? Also, why am I just now realizing that you have two sets of braids and you somehow look even more adorable than you do normally? Thank you. Amy Traden, how dare you? You're so cute. I can't handle it. Yeah, I have like little braided pigtails right now. I love it. I'm obsessed. I love it too. Also, for any of you who work in the service industry, I once heard that that is a fantastic trick to get more tips i have it on very credible sources that if you wear your hair in pigtails i yes i have greater otherwise you get that money Hmm. i have heard that i have heard that before from several people i don't know why i don't think i want to know why i'm sure it's sexual but i think we all know why yeah it's not gonna say it <laughs> but regardless <laughs> get that money who gives a shit girl absolutely you know Get that fucking money. But congratulations, Julie and Sam. So happy for you. Absolutely. Congratulations. We're obsessed with you. My God. So exciting. So exciting. And I met Sam's 
boyfriend now fiance and yes he Morgan. was lovely and adorable and was the one who insisted on taking a picture of us because he knew that sam was not gonna it's ask like she's too shy ask, to ask which i get i'm that person too Ah, uh, they're the best i'm they're so excited best. for them congratulations kids congratulations uh yeah no i still if i'm ever feeling down i just think about the first time i met sam and how excited she was to meet me and i was like this is one of the most beautiful things that's ever happened to me not gonna lie that is like the best birthday gift I've ever gotten. Oh my God. I was seeing that. It wasn't even my birthday, but it somehow felt like my birthday because <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Like you said, that lives rent-free in my head all yep. the time. Yeah, absolutely. I did see the picture recently and she's so excited. It's so cute. It's, so it's cute. I love it. Oh my God, Sam, you're the fucking best. We all got to hang out sometime soon. We do. I will make the trek into the city for that, despite how fucking cold it is right now. Like- it's too much. I'm going to go out on a limb. It's too cold. I haven't felt my fingers in days. Girl, it's going to drop into the teens next week. No! And it's like the two days that I'm... So it's it's my honey's birthday next week. And it's the two days that we're celebrating it. And I was like, this does not work with my fucking outfit that I have planned. Of what course. the fuck? You're like, I'm going to need to add 17 more layers and I'm still going to freeze my tits off. Great. Thanks. So I'm just going to look like a homeless person. Hope that's okay, yeah. babe. Thanks. <laughs> I get it. I'm wearing two sweaters right now, for the record. Girl, I can't. But apparently in like 37 days or something, 39 days, it'll be like 7 o'clock at night when it gets dark, which Ugh. the little winds, fuck yeah. Thank God. I miss it so much. This dark at 4 p.m. bullshit. I'm not a fan. I can't. No. Zero stars. Do not recommend. <laughs> Unsubscribe. I like, no. <laughs> Hard pass. Thank you. Anything else going on with you? Nothing crazy. I did watch a good documentary this week mm. called Hell Camp, which was on Netflix. I heard about this, but I only know like just the name. I know nothing else. It's wild. Oh my God. I can't wait. It's basically that these, if you watch the trailer, it tells you what happens yeah. in the trailer. So I'm not like 100% spoiling anything right now. But basically, these parents paid for their quote unquote delinquent kids to go to this outdoor retreat for behavioral modification. And the camp would kidnap them in the middle of the night with their parents' yeah. consent. This is like a lawn school type of shit, right? Yeah. Yeah, they did that to fucking Paris Hilton. Yeah. It's fucking wild. The guy who started it did it like three times in different places. Spoiler, resulted in a death. Of course. Of course. Yep, that's how that goes. Mm -hmm. It was horrifying, but it was very good, very well done, and I very much enjoyed it. So I recommend Hell Camp on Netflix if you're looking for a documentary this week. Amazing. It's not super gory or gruesome. Like, it's fucked up, but yeah, you're not going to see like horrible, brutal reenactments or crime scene photos or anything like that great i love that keep the trauma a little bit light yeah visually anyway yeah that's what i'm going for right now i can't handle anything too too much right now <laughs> girl i hear you i fucking hear you is that it for your week yeah girl awesome now i'm excited because i'm sure you have a spooky creepy paranormal story for me i sure fucking do yeah you do girl let me fucking tell you it's my first spooky story, my first paranormal story of the year. And I was just really inspired by my New Year's Day tradition of watching The Twilight Zone. And this story is as close to a real Twilight Zone as I've ever fucking heard. 
I can't wait. Girl, so let's fucking get into it. Sources. The Spooked Podcast, which so fucking great. Obsessed. I love them so much. Oh, so good. The show Jim Harold's Campfire, Mix108.com, and Facebook. It was a midsummer night 25 years ago in Northwest Wisconsin. T.I. Shipper's family had been coming to the area since the 1930s. They would travel north and spend their summers out of the city, and this summer was no different. T.I., as well as her four sisters, their several cousins, and all of their collective children met up in northwestern Wisconsin for a big family summer vacation. And northwestern Wisconsin is the epitome of the northern woods. Despite the fact that the shippers had been coming to Wisconsin for decades, once you get just outside of your local community, you were a stranger, an outsider, and you were treated as such. That night, T.I. and her friend Bob met up to go see a band play. While T.I. lived in Chicago, Bob lived in northern Wisconsin year-round, as he was the caretaker of a family property there. Bob was friends with the band, so he picked up T.I. and the two drove to Ashland, an hour and a half from where they were staying, to catch the show. The two stayed after the set was over, chatting with the band, and closed down the bar, leaving between 1.30 and 2 in the morning. They got in the car and started the long drive back to where they were staying, and it was a very dark night. It was so overcast you couldn't see the moon or the stars. There were no city or town lights visible. It was so dark they couldn't see past their own headlights. So the pair was driving through the woods on a country road in the pitch black dead of night. And while that would obviously be my nightmare, T.I. and Bob were joking and laughing and listening to music during their drive. We are not the same person. No. No, no. No. But they are also, like, kind of being super vigilant because, like, there's they're, like, in the fucking woods. So there's wildlife and shit that could just, like, jump out at you. So they don't want to, you know, hit anything or get in an accident or whatever. 40 to 60 minutes into driving, nature calls, and T.I. needs to go to the bathroom. And they're basically in the middle of fucking nowhere. There's no towns or rest stops or roadside parks anywhere in sight. So she asks her friend how much longer they have left on their drive. And Bob informs her that they're only about halfway to their destination. T.I. shares her predicament with her travel companion, who suggests that he could just pull off to the side of the road and she could pop a squat somewhere in the woods. But T.I. walks with a cane, so that's not really an option for her. So she just tells Bob to drive faster with the hopes that they'll come across something that's open. That is the worst. Grawla? I fucking know. They turned onto a new highway... And as they came up over a hill, the two spotted a bright red neon sign on the side of the road for the Roadhouse Saloon. And while Bob had never been to the Roadhouse Saloon, he recognized the name. All the locals had been talking about it, as an artist from Disney Studios had painted one of the large walls inside into a mural, and Bob had been meaning to check it out. The bar had an illuminated beer sign in the window, but most importantly, a neon open sign that was still turned on, for which they were super grateful considering it was about three o'clock in the morning at this point. They pulled into the gravel parking lot where there were also three or four beat up old cars. They got out of their car, walked over to the establishment and pushed open the big heavy quilted doors. As they walked in, there was a big dance floor in the center. There was a big horseshoe shaped bar and on the far wall was a huge mural depicting an old west scene. 
There weren't a lot of people inside. Among them, to their right, there were three ladies sitting at the bar with cocktails in front of them. To their left, there were a couple of guys by the pool table holding pool cues. And there was a bartender, a young man leaning on the bar, just smiling at them. And as Bob and T.I. walked in, everyone in the room turned and looked at them and simultaneously said, Hi! Almost as if they'd been expecting them, waiting for them even. Which honestly, that kind of creeped me out. Girl, uh, I know it's welcoming and I'm sure they were super cheerful about it, but like, uh, no, I don't want all eyes on me. Thank you. I mean, I've definitely been to places in the Midwest because I also just, I kind of dress like a lot, hence the sequins and the glitter everywhere yeah, in my apartment. You look like a beautiful retro pinup model thank at you. all times. <laughs> Not now, <laughs> I promise you, but uh, thank you. But yeah, so like, I've definitely been to places in the Midwest where like I walked into an establishment and everyone turned to look at me because one, I'd look different from everyone. You stand out. I stand in out. Your glamorousness. Yes. Thank you. And it's also like, you know, in these small towns are like, I know everyone here and I don't know who the fuck you are. Yeah. So I've definitely had that experience, but I've never had a simultaneous high walking into a room I, of no one I knew. I actually love this about you because you're super easy to find in crowds. Like I know where you are immediately. Yes, because I'm enormous. <laughs> I have no, sex there all the time. Stop it. <laughs> Bombshell. Facts. I mean, takes one, no one, baby. She's so sweet. I love her. I love you. So, and here's the thing. T.I. noted it was very odd, this behavior. Other than being kind of creepy, the collective friendliness caught her off guard. This had been unlike any bar that she'd been to up north, where usually when you walk in, people turn away. So she asked Bob to grab a couple beers while she went in search of a bathroom. And as she walked around the horseshoe-shaped bar to the bathroom, she passed the pool table where the two men were standing holding a drink in one hand and leaning on their pool cues with the other. She'd crossed the dance floor and finally reached the bathroom. After she did her business, she came out and joined Bob, who had a freshly opened beer bottle waiting for her. He handed her the bottle, and the two decided to go get a better look at the mural on the far wall. As they made their way over, a man walked over to the jukebox, and it was one of those old-fashioned 1950s Wurlitzer jukeboxes with a round top and neon lights inside that plays 45 records. I miss old jukeboxes. Girl. I would just flip nonstop for like uh, fucking 30 minutes. Girl. I didn't have to pick a song. Like it was just, I, there was something soothing about pushing the buttons and getting everything to flip. I love it. Oh, absolutely. And it was the type of jukebox that you don't really see out anywhere anymore, except in museums or like a sharper image, but like obviously the sharper <laughs> image ones. Oh my God, I haven't been in a sharper image in fucking... Do those even exist anymore? 15 years, probably. I have no idea. I haven't done anything but online shopping in so long. I mean, kind of no same. But you would go, you'd look at the jukebox, and then you'd sit in like oh the fancy God. chair that would like give you the massage. Yes. Yeah, it's like when you yes. were like, yes, of course, everyone did this. But of course, like, you know, the one in, in sharper image, that's like a digital one, and it's not the same thing as the fucking Wurlitzer. But this jukebox didn't look worn at all. It was in pristine condition. The man put a coin in the jukebox and the record went down. And Let's Twist Again Like We Did Last Summer by Chubby Checker started playing. And the visibly intoxicated man kind of stumbled his way over to T.I., spilling the beer out of his pint glass, smiled a big smile with his discolored teeth and said, Hey, you want to dance? And T.I. definitely didn't want to. But luckily for her, she's got a perfect excuse. She just pointed at her cane and told the man, Sorry, I can't dance. 
and the man headed back to the jukebox while Bob and T.I. made their way over to the mural. When the song came on, the ladies at the bar walked out to the dance floor and the guys at the pool table put down their drinks and cues and just kind of shuffled dance a little bit while the song was playing. So Bob and T.I. are taking in the 17-foot-long mural, and it's a whole saloon scene. On one side of it, there were swinging saloon doors, and there were some women sitting at the bar, and there were gamblers sitting at a gambling table. But the painting itself was very unusual. It was almost like a stage backdrop. The colors were very harsh and garish, and the scene was painted as if it were bottom lit from a floor light. The picture appeared to have faded out edges, perhaps to give the illusion that the scene was part of the actual saloon. And the characters in the painting themselves were drawn in a more cartoonish, larger-than-life manner than that of a naturalistic perspective, making them kind of grotesque and kind of disturbing to look at. As they were looking at the mural, the record stopped. And Bob kept looking at the mural, then looking at the guys at the pool table. And T.I. also took notice of the men. And she realized that they never started playing pool. At no point in her time at the bar did she hear the sound of pool balls. She started taking in the rest of the patrons and realized that while people were holding drinks, no one was actually drinking them. In fact, they weren't really doing anything except when the guy by the jukebox put in a song. About five minutes went by after the song had ended when the man by the jukebox put in another coin and the record dropped and Let's Twist Again Like We Did Last Summer by Chubby Checker came on again for a second time in a row. Weird. Girl. So weird. Girl. I gave myself many chills just saying that. And again, everyone at the bar stood up, put their drinks down, went over to the dance floor, danced a little bit. And when the song ended, without speaking, because also nobody was talking, they all just went back to their places. Like if you ever like film anything, it's like, okay, back to your ones. Cut, reset. Yeah. Yep, reset, back to your ones. Like it, it's, it's very much uh, this vibe. So T.I. is taking in this super creepy scene when... Bob nudges her and tells her to look at the guys at the pool table, and she does. Then he tells her to look at the gambler sitting at the table in the mural, and it's them. It wasn't identical, of course, because, again, the painting wasn't made in a realistic style, but was more cartoonish, but it was clearly them. It was the same body types, the same facial features. Those men were very clearly being depicted in that painting. So they started looking at the other characters in the mural, and finding them in the bar. And every person in the mural was in the bar. One of the ladies who was sitting at the bar was depicted in the mural as standing by the piano singing. The guy putting the money in the jukebox was the piano player. The bartender who T.I. described as very striking, handsome, in his 20s, that he looked like a farm kid who could pick up bales of hay because of his big muscles, was portrayed as a gunslinger with a cowboy hat. The artist even included the muscles, which were visible through the cowboy's shirt. Every single person in the bar was in that painting. And there was nobody else in that painting. It was the exact number as people in the bar, with the exception of Bob and T.I. This is the fucking Twilight Zone. Girl. Like, the music is playing in my head right now. Absolutely. 
And they were weirded out at first, but then they rationalized that these people were obviously regulars. So this artist probably came and incorporated these people who were here into his painting and thinking that it was probably a cool thing to do, seeing as how these people probably felt like this was their bar. So it should be their mural too. So T.I. and Bob thought that they should ask the bartender for more information on the mural. And the two walked across the dance floor. And as they did, for the third time, they heard the money go into the jukebox. And for the third time, the same guy who had been standing by the jukebox and never left the jukebox side except to dance, put in another coin and played the exact same song. Let's twist again like we did last summer. Which... If you did that in a bar, someone would yell and like call you out for it and be like, bro, again, come on, like pick something else. No matter how much you like that song, like people would call you out on it. There's no way no one would say anything. Absolutely. There is a really great John Mulaney bit in I think his first album about going to a diner with his other friend, John, and that they like got like $10 worth of quarters and they kept playing Tom Jones, It's Not Unusual or something. Yes. Oh, no, it was What's New Pussycat. They played it like seven times in a row and then they like split it up by putting in one It's Not Unusual and then it started playing What's New Pussycat again and people lost their fucking shit. And he said that that was the best meal he ever had, like seeing people freak the fuck out over the same song playing over and over again. People would fly into a rage. Like you're actually risking your life if you do that. I'm just putting it out there. Absolutely. But no one is freaking the fuck out. T.I. said, quote, that sent shivers down my spine. And it does right now still. Because if I was smart, I would have left right then. End quote. Because granted, there has been no other music played the entire time they've been there. And they initially rationalized that, okay, a guy plays a song two times in a row on a jukebox. Maybe it's his favorite song. But three times in a row... Something is off and something is wrong. Or this man is insane. Yes. Also, like, not not a fan if he's insane. Yeah. I'm going to get the fuck out of there. Get out of there. So T.I. tells Bob, let's just go. But Bob's like, no, come on. Let's have one more beer. I want to find out more about this mural. Let's talk to the bartender about it. So they go back to the bar and order another round. And Bob asks the bartender, so is that all of you guys in the mural? And the bartender, who was leaning on the bar with both hands and smiling, didn't respond. T.I. said that there was no change in his demeanor. The friendliness was still there, but it was almost as if they were speaking another language and he didn't understand. So T.I. interjects and asks him, did the artist paint you guys in the painting over there? And the bartender continued to smile and sort of shrugged, but he didn't respond to their question. Okay, weird. So T.I. asked the group of ladies down the bar, are you in these paintings up there? And the women just looked at the pair without changing their expression at all. And again, the only people who drank from their drinks while they were in there were Bob and T.I. The men never started playing pool, even though they were standing by the pool table, each holding pool cues. No one did anything except kind of dance when Let's Twist Again like we did last summer, came on and watched Bob and T.I. And again, while they're freaked out, they tried to rationalize it, and Bob made excuses saying that maybe the group of women had been there all night and were too wasted to even respond or know what the fuck was going on. And T.I. was like, okay, but what about the bartender? 
he hasn't been drinking all night, which that's also not necessarily true. Just saying. I mean, it's a little bar in the middle of nowhere. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's probably drinking a little. Yeah. I mean, you can't be an effective bartender if you're fucking wasted, but you know. You can be an effective bartender if you're a little buzzed. Yeah, just saying. Most of the time, especially if it's not a heavy crowd and you're not having to mix drinks Girl. and it's like in the country, you're probably just like pouring shots and grabbing beers or whatever. And yeah, not complicated. Yeah. So I'm just going to devil's advocate that one, T.I. You're not making old fashions and shit. Exactly. It's not a craft cocktail bar. And Bob's like, okay, let's just look at the mural one more time and then get out of here, which I don't know what the fuck Bob's deal is with this fucking mural because it's creepy as fuck. They started walking across the dance floor when they heard the money go in the machine and the record drop. And once again, it was the same song. And that made the hair on T.I.'s next stand up. And as they walked back to the mural across that dance floor, everyone in the establishment was watching them intently. And T.I.'s heart started beating a little bit harder than it was before. And as they were halfway across the dance floor, T.I. stopped and exclaimed to her companion, wait, what's that? In the mural, there were swinging saloon doors in the corner of the painting. And the mural looked exactly the same. Except that now, just outside the doorway, appeared two shadowy figures that weren't there before. Chill. Girl. It's them. Yes, it is. Spoiler. (laughs) The figures were gray with no features, but it looked as if they were painted to give the illusion of color starting to come in. They could tell from one of the silhouettes that one was a man and the other a woman. And even with all the looking at the mural, They knew they hadn't seen those two figures in the painting before this moment. So Bob says, let's get closer. And as the two approached the painting to study it further, they saw that the silhouettes resembled Bob and T.I. The height difference was the same. The female figure had curly hair like T.I. T.I. was wearing a long pink skirt and the gray color in the skirt area was pinkish. It almost looked as if the two figures were being filled in in real time. And then T.I. looked down underneath the swinging door. And that's when she saw that the woman in the painting was walking with a cane. (gasps) Girl, just like T.I. I have had chills since you said that and they haven't gone away. Like I have permanent chills now. Literally same. (sighs) That's fucking, that would creep. I'd be like, we need to get out of here right now. We're going to be trapped in this fucking bar forever. Okay. As part of the mural. Yes. Okay. I tell you, this was like the fucking Twilight Zone, like literally real Twilight Zone. So T.I. said, quote, now I got to tell you, if it was just, I've got shivers all over my body right now. Even her, she has fucking chills. We all got the chills in telling this because I feel like it was this close to never coming out of that place. If I hadn't had the cane, I may not have realized what was really going on. And what was really going on is we were starting to become part of that mural. I don't know how that is. I don't know how that works or what that is, but boy, I saw that cane and we looked at each other and we said, let's get the bleep out of here, end quote. Yes. 10,000%. Correct. Although it seems like a nice bar, but like, I don't want to be trapped in any bar forever. Forever? Thank no. you. Yeah. No, no, no. 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 And it's, it's funny because so she is in an episode of Spooked, but then she's on like another episode of something else. 
and in spooked she like drops f-bombs and in the other one she like definitely does it so it's very funny like you're gonna because later on i'm gonna do a quote where she does drop the f-bomb i love it i mean as someone who loves to drop the f-bomb like girl obviously i fucking get it absolutely as soon as bob saw what she saw he dropped the bottles on the bar grabbed ti's arm and the two booked it towards the door and as they crossed the dance floor everyone in the bar stood up and turned towards them girl this story is just like a non-stop chill factory i can't yeah yes <sighs> mind you let's twist again like we did last summer is playing for the fourth time while all of this <laughs> is going down that's not what i want to listen to for eternity i can't <laughs> i mean and it's like it's a good tune it's a bop but like but i don't want to listen to any song on repeat for eternity for sure but it's just like, it literally is one of those things that it's such a fun, happy song and it's so innocuous. So to have, it's like, it would be like the perfect horror film. Like this happy, fun song is happening. And then you're like, what the fuck is happening right now? And it just like keeps going on. And then it just becomes more ominous every time it plays again. Yes. Like it becomes sinister in how cheerful it is because of like the juxtaposition of it. Oh, I love it. Exactly. <laughs> and I wrote <laughs> and that it's playing for the fourth time while all this is going down straight out of a horror movie. Yes. Somebody make this movie. I would watch this in a heartbeat. Oh my God, in a second. The guy that had been playing the record started walking towards them. No. Girl. And as they were making their way to the front door, they heard the man behind them exclaim, wait. Just then, the pair bust through the door with the music still playing and the lights still blazing in the windows. However, as soon as that door shut behind them, the music instantly stopped and the light in the windows went out. It was silent and pitch black. T.I. froze. Bob went to the car and turned on the lights and the windows of the bar were darkened. The neon signs were all off. There was nobody inside. Not only that, there were no cars in the parking lot. Stop it. Girl. I swear to you, I've had continuous chills for the last, like, five minutes of this story. I fucking know. Same. But nobody left while they were at the bar, and nobody arrived. So nobody arrived, and nobody left. But somehow, the, like, four cars that were there, they're fucking gone. The two got in the car and sped out of that parking lot, kicking up the gravel. They got on the highway and didn't say a word. The two drove in silence, stunned and shaking, overwhelmed at what they had just experienced. Then, about 10 miles down the road, Bob and T.I. looked at each other, and she said, what the fuck was that? And they started asking each other, did this really happen? Because T.I. said, quote, if it was just me, I would have dismissed it and said, no, that didn't happen, and just gone on with it. But I wasn't alone. There were two of us who experienced the exact same thing, end quote. Ultimately, Bob said, quote, I have no idea what happened, but we just got out of there by the skin of our teeth, end quote. I mean, facts. Facts. Yes. <laughs> the two made it safely to their destination, but T.I. could barely sleep that night. She said, quote, you know, people disappear all the time, and it could have, you know, Bob and I took off in the woods to go listen to music, and we could have just never come home and never knew what happened to us. They didn't know what route we took. They knew what bar we went out to, 
but between there and our destination, an hour and a half of Northwoods, people would have just figured that they drove off into a ravine or water or ran off together. A fact that she points out would have been a ridiculous notion. <laughs> I was like, damn, T.I., you got to like, like... We're going to shade Bob like that? Right? Like, okay. Kind of. Damn. <laughs> you know? But she concluded with, quote, that happens all the time. And that, I felt like that could have happened to me, to us, end quote. Yes. Honestly, I think about this probably more than I should of just like people disappear all the time. And like, especially like in national parks and woods and stuff. And like, we always just chalk it up to like, they died of exposure, an animal got them, something happened, we just never found them. And it's like, something even crazier could have happened to them. And you would just never fucking know. And it's one of those things that it didn't really occur to me until she said that. She's like, people disappear all the time and we could have disappeared and people just would have been like, oh, you know, they got in a car accident, whatever. And you're like, I'm stuck in a fucking painting in a mural in (laughs) in a fucking saloon bar in northern Wisconsin. What the fuck? Can you fucking imagine? Insane. (sighs) Okay, but we're not done with the story yet. So at breakfast the following morning, T.I. was visibly upset. So her sisters and cousins inquired what was the matter and what had happened. And T.I. told them everything that happened. And the shocking thing is they actually believed her. That's a good sibling, family member. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Also, I'm guessing T.I. maybe isn't like she doesn't fuck around and that she was so fucked up from what happened, understandably, that I guess that they had to take her seriously. I get that. I feel like you all know that person who just like, tells you outlandish ridiculous shit that you're like this is mm-hmm. not true and i don't believe you for it's sure like the boy who cry wolf don't do that because then when some shit actually goes down and you need people to believe you they're not gonna fucking believe you for sure then they interrogated bob separately from ti and bob initially refused to talk about what happened but the group of women didn't let up until bob finally relented <laughs> i mean which i love I love it. Like I was like, I'm not surprised. Like, leave it to a woman for an interrogation. She'll find out fucking everything you need to and know. And it's not only that. It's like four sisters and then like all of these female cousins. And you have this group of women around you who are like, uh, you need to fucking tell us what the fuck happened. Like, yes. You think any of those? No. They're like, we're not going to fucking stop. Get the metal table. Get the like hanging light. Like, we're fucking Absolutely. on this. Yes. Like I said, I'm rewatching the Jinx and then like Kathy McCormick's friends, female friends, Gilberta and all of them. They're like, we're going to like go and like go through the trash of the house because the cops aren't doing shit. Let the women do the fucking work. Just, <laughs> Just fucking saying. Women are incredible. I fucking love it. So Bob finally relented and recounted their strange and disturbing experience at the Roadhouse Saloon. Everything he told the women matched what T.I. had said, and the experience became even more believable to them. So the sisters and cousins were like, let's go back and check this place out and see what's up. Yes. Girl. These are my people. Like This is like, get yourself this kind of crew. Yes. Like, absolutely. Whether you're related, like in your heart or in your soul, get this fucking crew. Yes, ride or die, we're figuring this fucking out. Thank you. Absolutely, yes. So a week later, the group of a half dozen women planned a field trip to the Roadhouse Saloon. How do I sign up for this field trip? Do I need to get a permission slip lined? Like, what's going on here? A girl, I yes. mean, I'll just forge my parents' signature. Like, <laughs> my mom's yeah. not going to let me do this, obviously. <laughs> 
We've all been there. I mean, my mom has actually really excellent penmanship and I do not. So I could never forge her signature. But my dad's, it's like, it's chick- like I would forge a signature for sure. I'd be like, oh, like I already was allowed to do this. I just forgot to like, I dropped the ball again. I was like, oh, okay, there we go. I did the same thing. Even though my yeah. handwriting is like kind of similar to my mom's, it would never looked as smooth. Whereas like my dad has a very like artistic, distinctive signature. So it was really easy to forge. So yeah, whenever I like wanted to skip school, I would forge his signature. <laughs> Although that sounds kind of badass, but I was such a goody two shoes that I would just tell him that's what I did like two days later. I'd be like, by the way, I like didn't feel like going to school. So like I wrote myself a sick note and I signed your signature. And he was always like, uh, okay. He's like, are your grades good? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, cool. He's like, what'd you do? I was like, uh, stayed home and read books and watched anime. And he was like, okay. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like the lamest, like, <laughs> truant ever. <laughs> I love it. I'm obsessed with you. Uh, as I tell people, the one time I actually like did skip school and like go out, me and my best friend went to Barnes and Noble and hung out at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> that is the level of nerd I am. Thank you. I love you so much. Great time. Oh ten out of ten. God. Would recommend. I love you so much. That's amazing. Thank you. So yeah, so one or two of us are forging the signature to uh, go on this field trip. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> T.I., however, didn't want to go back. She didn't want to see the mural. She felt that there was no reason for her to ever go back. But her family talked her into it. And a week later, T.I. went back to the Roadhouse Saloon. Bob, for his part, politely declined their offer. The group of women arrived at the bar at about 8 p.m., But during the summer months, it stays light out in that area until 1030 at night. So while that made the visit a little less ominous, T.I. remembered getting a sinking feeling as soon as they pulled into the parking lot. She wasn't sure she wanted to go in there, but she knew that she was going in there. The group of women walked in and the place was pretty full. There were tables set up on the dance floor where people were seated, eating food and having drinks. T.I. scanned the area to see if any of the people who had been in the previous week were in again, but she didn't recognize any of the faces. The bar was exactly the same, set up the same way. T.I. went up to the mural and examined it, and it was still there, as were all the characters, the gunslinger, the card players, the barmaids, but there was no one in that doorway. It was empty. She kept looking around, and that's when T.I. noticed the jukebox. It wasn't a Wurlitzer, but a modern one that looks completely different and plays CDs instead of 45 records. It was a completely different machine. She went to the machine and looked for Let's Twist Again Like We Did Last Summer by Chubby Checker, but it wasn't even one of the options on there. T.I. said, quote, I have no idea how that could happen. It wasn't like I went in there and hallucinated. Bob and I together hallucinated the change, end quote. T.I. went up to the bartender, who was a young woman, and instead of telling her her experience for fear that she'd be taken away to a mental institution, she just asked, hey, where's the other bartender? To which she replied, what other bartender? T.I. said, Saturday night, we were here, and there was another bartender here. And she goes, no? And T.I. continues saying, it was really late, it was probably three in the morning, There was a young guy, and he was really friendly. And the bartender responds, My dad owns this place, and he and I are the only ones who tend bar here. And we closed at midnight. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. Girl, the chills. 
nonstop. Oh, but also uh, T.I. has chills because chills ran through her body and her sisters who'd been watching the entire interaction, their jaws hit the floor. The group of women stayed a short while and then they left. T.I. has not been back to the Roadhouse Saloon since. The Roadhouse Saloon closed briefly during the pandemic, but it has since reopened and is now part of a little mini up north strip mall that includes an all night gas station and gift shops. And the mural is still there. But apparently the mural is smaller now. Some of its panels, including the ominous swinging doors, now residing in a local's garage. But if you ever find yourself in Hawthorne, Wisconsin, you too can go to the Roadhouse Saloon and see the mural for yourself. Maybe you will see one of the people in the mural. But you definitely won't see T.I. there, as she's never been back to the Roadhouse Saloon and has no intention of ever going back. And that is the real-life Twilight Zone-type story of Bob and T.I. and their weird night at the Roadhouse Saloon. I loved this so, so much. Girl. I'm not going to lie. I have heard this spooked episode before, and it's one of the ones that has stuck with me over the years. And, like, I just, like, randomly think about it sometimes. Oh, yeah. It's so eerie, and I just – I love it so much. Like, is this a parallel universe? Was this some kind of, like, purgatory? Like, what is this? Yeah, see, because I remember it from Spooked as well, but there's a lot less details in the Spooked episode. Yes, I was going to say, you had way more details than I remembered there being, yeah. Yeah, because that episode – because it's, like, one of the first episodes in, like, I think the second season, so really early on – and it's only half the episode is that story. Like she split yes. like the so it's another story. So yeah, so I found an interview with her on another thing. And that's where all of these details came from. I love it. Cause I had actually considered doing it before, but it was so short. I was like, this is gonna be like me talking for like five minutes and then it'll be done. Right. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I feel like I can't do this. Yeah. I love that so much though. Like it literally has stuck with me for three years at least. Yeah. What the fuck? I had seriously continuous chills for the end of the story. It's so, that was so good. Thank you. And I'm glad this was not the case, but there's a lot of, especially like fairy stories where if you Mm -hmm. eat the food in the world and drink the drink of the world, like then you're trapped there forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like the Persephone. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, thing. yes, 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 yes. So I'm glad they were not trapped there just for getting a drink and having a nice drink. I know, right? Just having a fucking like Bud Light or some shit. Can you imagine being stuck in a painting? Yes. Because you had like a Bud Light lime. God damn it, girl! <laughs> damn the smeared up eyes. No, <laughs> that'd be me. I'd be like, fuck. This is why everyone uh... was telling me not to drink smeared off. Fuck. No, she would drink a gimlet because she's a classy bitch. Yeah, but not everywhere. I'm not having Gimlet like in a divey Irish bar, you know. I know I know my place. Yeah, they're probably not making a proper Gimlet. That's fair. Yeah, I'm now a high noon girl. I've jumped on that high noon train. I love a high noon. Yeah, girl. Also, because I completely spaced out uh, <laughs> at the beginning of this episode, it was Donna's fucking birthday. Shit. Yes, you're right. Happy birthday, Donna. Happy motherfucking birthday. Fucking love you. She's the fucking best. We're obsessed. She's the best. I love her. We should make plans to go out and do a little celebration if you have time. Yeah. I know Donna would be down for that. Absolutely. Done. I thought of her during my Christmas gift opening 
because I know she loves Harry Potter. And one of the gifts that Johnny gave me this year was an Umbridge tea caddy to put your tea bag in. Professor, um, you don't know this Harry Potter. This doesn't mean anything to me. I'm sorry. I wish it did. Donna's going to get this and she's going to be very excited when she listens to <laughs> yes, this. Yes, I'm absolutely. just saying. Absolutely. Yes. It looks very beautiful, like nice china and it has Professor Umbridge on it and it's really cute. And I use it for like my jewelry what that I take off at night. That's lovely. I saw it and I was like, oh my God, Donna would love this. Literally, it was my first thought. <laughs> the only reason I took the Harry Potter quiz was because Donna made all of us take the Harry Potter quiz to see what house we're in. Were you Slytherin? Yes. And like, you know what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the fact that everyone gets it immediately, like... I mean, yeah, Moni, <laughs> obviously. The only one who was shocked was Donna. And she was like, what the fuck? And it was like, oh, it's because I'm like ambitious and determined. She's like, oh, yeah, then yes. <laughs> I could get that. I also could see you being Gryffindor because you're very loyal and... That is true. Yes. Brave. No, when Donna met my honey, that was like one of the first questions. It's like, what house are you? That's adorable. <laughs> He's like a hybrid cuspy house. I mean, I'm definitely Ravenclaw. As much as I love snakes and I would love to be a Slytherin, yeah. Get on. Yeah, because uh, multiple people, including my honey, was like, I was like, oh, you know, Harry Potter. I was like, I took a quiz and, you know, whatever. He's like, why? Because you're a Slytherin? And I was like, um, the fact that there was like not even a beat to think about it. <laughs> I know. Wow. Same okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's a compliment. I mean, I feel like they're like the badass. Like, are they? I just know that like the bad guy, like Draco, right? They're. I mean, they're kind of the bad guys, but also like not. That's kind of a stereotype. That is right. Like, See? not all Slytherins are That's bad. Right. Not all Scorpios are bad either. You just don't understand. Yeah, misunderstood. Yes. Happy birthday, Donna. We're gonna plan <laughs> something. We're gonna do something. Happy birthday. We love you so much. We love you so much. I love you. Thank you for that story. I fucking love you. What the fuck with the story? What the fuck with the story? That was great. And one of my favorite spooked episodes. And I'm so glad that you did more research and gave me more details because. Oh, yeah. God. I loved reliving it. Hyperfixation. ADHD life, I guess. Girl. <laughs> I learned. It's too real. <laughs> my 17 million projects that I have started and not finished. Yeah. I'm ashamed to admit I have like half of my mom's mother's day gift from last year done that i was like i'm gonna finish it i'm gonna send it to her for christmas because i've been a terrible slacker and then is it still half done in my living room yeah of fucking course are we about to hit the next mother's day yeah <laughs> to be fair it's not like you're just like chillaxing in your apartment that's you're doing a billion things that's true in addition to the show <laughs> so I know. It does crack me up when everyone's like, I thought you already did your story. I'm like, yeah, every week I have to every do a story. Week. It's a new one every single week. It doesn't just end. Or when people are like, oh, you have a day off? I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. I have a day when I have to do other shit that's not the work I get paid for. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Ah. Oh, my God. Too real. I love you so much. I love you so much. Thank you so much again for that story. Like, I'm beaming. I'm giddy right now. That made me so happy. Absolutely. So, girl, it's that time. We're ready to be feel a little traumatized. I feel like trauma's kind of light today. Love it. We're out of December, so I didn't feel like I had to do a super disturbing story. <laughs> and mine was like really disturbing last time, and I felt kind of bad for how really was. much I traumatized everyone. <laughs> so, like, it's true crime. It's not, it. you know, love it, light and fluffy, but it's not gonna give you nightmares and make it so that you can't sleep. I love it. Fantastic. Starting the new year, great. I tried. I was like, gentle January? Is that what I'm going with? I don't know. 
I don't know what it is. I, let's not commit to that because what if we want to get like, fucked up? <laughs> you know? That means Monique is going to traumatize all of us next week. God damn it. That's not necessarily true, but I, I like the <sighs> options. Sometimes I like options. <laughs> I love you. I, I mean, I like options too. I get it. I get it. <laughs> That's hysterical. You got to balance it. It's like a balanced diet. You got to have some fruits and veggies and then like a little bloody red meat. There you go. There you go. Okay. So I don't think I need any trigger warnings for this one. Wow. So let's jump into sources. That's I know. That's a first. Isn't that nice? That's a nice feeling. It's <laughs> a nice feeling. Oh, I love you. I love you. So, sources. The show Deadly Women, Season 6, Episode 3, Wikipedia, Independent.co.uk, TheArgus.co.uk, DailyMail.co.uk, Mirror.co.uk, TheGuardian.com, and CourtNewsUK.co.uk. It takes place in the UK, in case no one uh, yeah, I, I, could I surmise that. that from my sources. Dina Holmes was born in 1960 in Hendon, North London, to retired prison warder, a.k.a. corrections officer, Michael Holmes and his wife, Margaret. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any details about her childhood, just that it was later described by police as, quote-unquote, troubled. Mm. In her early 20s, she began working as a cashier at the Woolwich Building Society, a type of financial institution. And in 1982, when she was 22 years old, Dina met a fairground attendant named Lee Wyatt. The two began dating not long after, moved in together the following year, and eventually got married on October 12, 1984. Three years later, they had a son together named Darren. Although Dina's father got Lee a job in the Bedford Hotel in Brighton and Dina was still working for Woolwich, the couple had dreams of starting their own company together. They eventually set up a company called Dina Lee Crafts, which was going to make and distribute stuffed toys. After a family holiday in Florida, Dina told Lee that Disney was interested in purchasing one of his character designs, oh. Sean the Leprechaun. When Dina showed her husband letters from the company that claimed they wanted to pay 50 million pounds for the rights to the character, Lee gave up his day job to dedicate all his time to Sean the Leprechaun. Yeah, no shit. Unfortunately for Lee, in reality, Dina had forged the letters and lied about the deal. Why couldn't you make it like a reasonable amount of money? Right? Oh, girl, the lying in this story is OD. You are not prepared. Oh, my God. Okay. This is the tip of the iceberg, girl. We're going to fucking. <laughs> yeah, we're like on like paragraph two. Like, fuck. Yeah, we're going to fucking <laughs> hear a lot. You're going to hear a lot of bullshit. <laughs> Love it. There were no contracts with Disney and definitely no money coming their way. Around this time, Dina started stealing money from Woolwich, the financial institution she was working for. On July 8th, 1991, with Lee still unaware of their financial troubles, the couple signed up for a mortgage on a house in Douglas Close. Later that same month, on July 22nd, Dina served him divorce papers that stated he had been, quote, quick-tempered, violent, noisy, end quote, and that their son was afraid of him. When he confronted her about the divorce, she told him it wasn't real, but that they had to separate because the mafia was after them and wanted a cut of the Sean the Leprechaun money. I told you, the lying is OD in the story. I cannot, girl. Yes. And apparently, Lee believed her. She convinced him that his life was in danger and that he needed to change his name and disappear for a while. 
happily agreed and for the next three years lived as a vagrant. He slept on park benches and found work at amusement arcades, but still sent most of the money he made to Dina to help care for their son. <laughs> I wish you could see Monique's face right now. I like clutching her chest, back of the hand to her <laughs> forehead. Girl. I mean, like that is like next level naivete. Seriously. I felt so bad for this man. But also like I'm not living on the streets because you fucking say the mafia is after me. Like, And why the fuck would the mafia know any of this? Why would the mafia know anything about us unless you're involved with the mafia? Exactly. Well, obviously the mafia and Disney go hand in hand. Monique, come on. Hopping. I mean. And she's living like with indoor plumbing inside and like heat and shit. Yeah. Oh, girl, wait. Just, just fucking girl, wait. Girl, I – okay. Just fucking wait. But yeah, in the show, when the debt collectors would knock on the door, she'd be like, that's the mafia. Like, you gotta, you have to go on the road because she didn't want him to know, like, how much debt they were actually in. I mean, the mafia has no problem, like, killing women. I'm sorry, like, does this guy not know that? Or Correct. Clearly, this guy doesn't know what time it is. He seems... He's a bless his heart. Yeah, bless his heart, a little innocent. Yeah. Unconfirmed, but I think that's probably the situation I read in one article that she told him that they were being protected by, like, a secret group that was called, like, the G-Squad. But then I'm going to get into another detail later, which made me think it was, like, a little confusing. Do they not have witness protection in the UK? I'm certain they do. I'm sure they do, but, like, they didn't. So they're not going to be like, we need to protect you, but you're just going to stay in your house. (laughs) Everyone's going to know that you're. Girl. What? The lies and manipulation. Clearly he's never seen a dateline. No, definitely not. Because he'd be like, this is some top-tier bullshit. He kept in touch with her during this time, and when they spoke, she continued to reassure him that when this was all over, they'd live in the States together, but that he had to stay on the run for now because he was being chased by a gang of assassins called the G-Men. So I only found this in one source, and then another source was the one that said she told him they were being protected by the G squad. So I don't know if she was just like unimaginative and she just like named everything the G something, or if this was like a detail that was confused. I don't know. Bullshit either way. Yes. Finally, in 1994, he started to get suspicious that maybe Dina wasn't telling him the truth. How many years has he been living on a fucking bench? Three. Girl, okay, three so it took him fucking three years. years. Girl. Yes. Girl. I've definitely been in a relationship for three years that there were signs that I shouldn't have ducked out like a bit ago, but I was still like living indoors. You know what I mean? Not sleeping on the streets and in parks. Yeah. And again, he's sending most of his money back to her still. Oh my God. Like you're living on the streets and you're still like sending money back to your wife who's living in your house. I can't imagine treating another person that way. No. I just can't. And someone who's your husband, no. who, like allegedly you should love, I could not imagine anybody being like, you have to live on a fucking park bench and give me all of your money. Seriously. It's sociopathic shit. For sure. So he decided to visit her in June and confront her. And turns out Dina was currently married to and living with an advertising executive named Julian Webb. And since Lee and Dina had never officially gotten divorced, that meant she was technically having an affair and was officially a bigamist. Yep. 
So while he has been on the street for three years. She got hitched to someone else. She's been married. Yes. <sighs> Dina and Julian had wed in 1991 after a three-month-long whirlwind romance. Shortly after, she'd sent Lee on the run from the mafia. So literally, she sends him on the run and three months later is like married to this guy, basically. So there's overlap, obviously, like other than the obvious, like that she's still actively married to someone else. But like she definitely had to have like known him before she sent him on the run from the mafia. I believe so. Meaning that she'd been happily married for the past three years while Lee had been living on the streets and still sending money to her. Get a divorce! <laughs> For fucking real. And Lee wasn't the only one she had talked into giving her money. She told Julian that she had cancer and convinced him to give her his savings, 25,000 pounds, to pay for her treatment. Not long after Lee confronted Dina, who was now officially Dina Webb, on June 30th, Julian's 31st birthday, Julian fell ill. Julian's mom called three times that day, but Dina told her he was too sick to talk to her or to even open his cards and presents. Julian Webb was dead by the morning. <gasps> Dina called emergency services and when they arrived, told them that she had spoken to him just minutes before she called them. But due to the rigor of the body, they believed he'd been dead for at least two hours. When questioned by the police, she told them that Julian had taken antidepressants and some aspirin and implied he may have taken his own life. Although it was treated as suspicious and police admitted there were anomalies in her story, their investigation into Julian's death did not result in enough evidence to prove anything other than a fatal overdose. The inquest into his death ended in an open verdict on August 25th, 1994. But Julian's friends and family didn't believe Dina's story. They claimed Julian was a health fanatic who never even took aspirin, and Julian's mother said that when they last talked, he'd discussed plans for a fishing trip and told her he was excited about moving to Florida. She didn't believe he would have taken his own life. She became even more suspicious when she found out that the day after Julian's death, Dina went to the newspaper office where he worked and tried to collect money amounting to 36,000 pounds, which would have been released from his pension plan in the event of his death. Have, like, a little bit of chill. This bitch has no chill. Like, oh, my God. If you're trying not to be suspicious, you're doing a really bad job of it because that's, like, the most suspicious thing you could do is, like, your husband dies and then you're at his work the next. You're like, hey, but about the money? Like, can I get that money? What's up? Does this, like, does she, you know, to steal a line from uh, Diana, does she know her way around a dick? Is that how she's doing this? Do these these two men? I guess so. I guess so. (laughs) What the fuck? She is like a master manipulator of men. And I think it's just like tells them whatever they want to hear, like very much just lures them into her web. I do not have this power, clearly. No. Fortunately, Mrs. Webb, Julian's mother, was able to establish that Dina was not his next of kin because she was still married to her first husband. Yeah. Yep. She also fought Dina's attempts to have Julian cremated and instead made sure he was buried near the family home on Hailing Island. After the open verdict, though, Dina's neighbors noticed that she was already entertaining new gentlemen callers. However, the following year, Dina's thefts from Woolwich finally caught up with her, and it was discovered that she had stolen 23,000 pounds. When she was confronted by the authorities, she tried to blame it on her first husband, Lee Wyatt. Homeboy's fucking living on a fucking park bench, girl. And sending you his money. Rude. 
<laughs> yes, it is. While you were married to somebody else. Like, don't fucking blame him for your fucking thievery. Like, get out of here. Girl. This bitch is wild. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I mean, clearly, what the fuck? That is why I did the story because I was like, I cannot believe the level of the lies and the fucking audacity of this woman. Is she attractive? Like, she's supposed to be like a petite blonde. I mean, she's not like drop dead gorgeous, but like. It's also the UK. It's the UK. Like, the pictures of her when she was younger, like, she's kind of cute, I guess. Like, she's not a stunner. Because I'm like, how how is she getting away with this? I, I have no idea. She probably does know her way around a dick. Let's be real, Monique. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. that's, I have to assume. I have to assume. She was ultimately convicted of the crime and spent 18 months in jail as a result. Lee and Dina officially divorced in 1997. After serving her time in prison, Dina met British telecom executive Robert Thompson through a Lonely Hearts ad in 1998, which is like in the paper, people do like a little dating ad, basically. I guess there's people who who wouldn't know that because i assume you do you probably do i do I might yeah. Be de- yeah but you know just in case for younger people who have apps like how when when my nephew asked me if the phone existed when i was a kid yeah bro they've had phones for a really long time thanks thanks for insinuating that i'm old enough to predate alexander graham bell you piece <laughs> of shit <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical yeah (laughs) like ow burn that is holy fuck wow okay jesus so yes uh i guess there are people who don't know what a lonely heart sad is in the paper probably probably (laughs) she told him she was a college teacher and antiques dealer and richard thought he'd met his soulmate since the two had bonded over their mutual love of deep sea fishing but of course these were just more lies yeah, the deep sea fishing would be the A number one. Right? Like, I'm sorry, who's into that? I know like one person who's into it. And it's a woman? It actually is, yes. Oh, shit. Look at that. that is, I yeah. stand corrected. Fuck me. That was terrible. But I'm going to guess there's like not a lot of ladies in the UK really into deep sea fishing. No. I'm going to throw it out there. I could be wrong. We got listeners in the UK be like, everyone, it's in our fucking national anthem fuck you i that could be the case <laughs> god save the queen as we're deep sea fishing um <laughs> like, yeah, i was saying we're talking to two girls from florida who i feel like we're like be no likely, we're like no <laughs> i feel like exactly. if anyone would be into deep sea fishing it'd be florida girls yeah and we're like hard pass no thank you i'll go to the <laughs> beach but like i want to yeah. just like get a tan and like get my feet wet that's it yeah And unsurprisingly, these were just the first of many. She also told him that she had breast and ovarian cancer and that she had won 300,000 pounds in the national lottery, but couldn't get the money because it was in a bank in Jersey. Dina moved into his home in West Sussex, and the two were married on the Florida beach the following year. Dina Webb was now Dina Thompson. A few months later, she started forging his signature on loan applications, emptying his savings account and running up thousands of pounds of debt on his credit cards. She even convinced him to take out a 36,000 pound early retirement package so he could run a charter boat with her in the Florida Keys. He gave her 3,000 pounds for a deposit on a home in Florida, but she used it to pay off a credit card she had taken out in his name. 
She also made inquiries about surrendering his 89,000-pound life-assured policy and even had the audacity to put his house up for sale without telling him. Oh, my God. The audacity. This bitch. Just wait. How is that possible that I need to wait for more wild shit? All this is wild. It's insane. It's wild country safari in this month. (laughs) It's wild. (laughs) It is wild country safari. Oh, my God. I love it. I love you. Dina then told him she knew someone who could get him a job that would make him tens of millions of pounds, but that her contact was temporarily indisposed because he was working undercover for the FBI. Again, like everyone is just believing this chick. I don't understand. This is the late 90s though, right? Yeah. The internet's a thing. The internet is a thing. It's not what it is now, but you can Google some shit. Or ask Jeeves. Sorry, you can have a, an imaginary internet butler find some <laughs> shit out up for you. you. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. But Richard was in love and had no reason not to believe her, despite how outlandish some of her stories sounded. He made out his will to her and gave her power of attorney over his affairs. Not long after they got married, Richard planned to take a trip to Florida. On January 1st, 2000, the night before he was scheduled to leave, Dina told him she had a sexy surprise for him and suggested he let her tie him up. Oh, no. Yep. Oh, no. Is correct. Monique. Monique knows what's going down here. Yeah. Not my first rodeo. (laughs) Not my first suggestion of bondage. I fucking (laughs) fool me once. No, shame on me. Oh, no. Excited by the prospect of some adventurous sex, Richard agreed. After he got undressed, Dina proceeded to tie his arms behind his back, put tape around his ankles, and place a towel across his face. She then grabbed a baseball bat and hit him twice in the head before stabbing him in the shoulder with a carving knife. This bitch. I know. She could, like, easily have just, like, met up, like, a dude who was, like, flushed in cash. Like, a guy who's, like, 40 years older than her. Yeah. Yeah. And then just like gold digger that shit. Yeah. What the fuck? Leave these fucking people alone. They're just looking for love. I know. I know. Realizing she intended to kill him, Richard fought back. He managed to free his hands and forced her to drop the knife. When it became clear to her that her attempt to kill him had failed, she broke down and told him, quote, It's all been a lie. I've spent all your money. End quote. Dina left the house, and the next day, a real estate agent turned up unexpectedly, saying that Dina had told him to sell the house and that Richard would be in Florida. Richard realized that his wife had planned to kill him, then sell their house while he was on a long-planned trip to Florida, so no one would be suspicious of his disappearance. I, like, wish you guys could see Monique right now. She's just, like, <laughs> her hands are on her head. But wait, he's, he's not dead? He's not dead. He survived. He fought back. He's good. He is alive. Holy yes. shit. I know. Good for this guy. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Let's do this, girl. Let's go. After that, Richard called the police and Dina was soon arrested. Police launched an investigation and began interviewing her former partners. They discovered that she had lied to and stolen money from all of them. She admitted to police to conning money from them, but denied that she had been trying to kill her husband. She claimed that Richard had attacked her when he found out the truth about the money, and she had hit him with a baseball bat in self-defense and was cut on the shoulder when she tried to grab the knife from him. And, and he's doing this with his hands tied behind his back and, and duct tape on his ankles. Yes. 
Monique, don't even get me started. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yes. Dina was charged with the attempted murder of Richard Thompson, but was acquitted in August 2000. However, because she had admitted to lying in order to defraud him, as well as two other men out of 12,000 pounds, by claiming she was terminally ill and promising them a new life in the U.S., she was instead charged with 15 counts of deception and was sentenced to three years and nine months in jail. Mm, Not enough. Not enough. But yeah, they kind of like bought the self-defense story, I guess. Insane. Obviously, Richard divorced Dina shortly after. Despite her acquittal for attempted murder, the investigating officers were once again suspicious of the circumstances of the death of Dina's second husband, Julian Webb. Although six years had passed, they decided to reopen their investigation into his death while Dina was in prison serving her sentence. In October 2001, they exhumed Julian's body, and after performing an autopsy, international toxicological experts discovered that the concentration of antidepressants in his system was much higher than originally thought and ruled that his death couldn't have possibly been a suicide because to reach that concentration, the drugs must have been infused into the body over several days. Detectives who reinvestigated the case also found a new witness. Don Hudson was an American who'd met Dina and Julian when they were trying to set up a new life in Florida. He told police that his suspicions that Dina had murdered her husband were off the scale. Apparently, after Julian's death, Dina had told him that her husband had taken seasickness pills, antihistamines, and aspirin, had been drinking heavily, and had eaten one of his favorite foods, spicy curry, at a restaurant on the night of his 31st birthday. Not long after, a friend of Dina's came forward and told police that it had been Dina who'd made her husband the curry, and that she had hinted to him that she had added the drugs to the dish. Investigators believed the extra spicy curry had disguised the bitter taste of the fatal dose of antidepressants, Mm. which had sent him into a stupor and made him too weak to move. With the new witness's testimony and the toxicology report, Dina Thompson was finally arrested for the murder of her second husband, Julian Webb, in 2003, nine years after his death. I'm glad they finally got it together. Jesus. Yeah. Like it was highly suspicious from the beginning, you guys. Come on. Right. Exactly. Unfortunately, legal restrictions prevented any mention of her previous convictions during the trial, neither the theft from Woolwich or her conning of Richard Thompson and two other men. During the trial, Dina reportedly showed no emotion as the judge declared, quote, what you did was utterly ruthless and without pity. Nothing can excuse you for the wickedness of what you did, end quote. According to the prosecution, Dina's motive, in addition to the money, of course, was her fear that the men she was simultaneously married to would meet and her double life would be exposed, since Julian's death occurred shortly after her first husband, Lee Wyatt, had contacted her at the home she shared with Julian. After a month-long trial, there was enough evidence to sentence Dina Thompson to life in prison, with the possibility of parole after 16 years. Bye. Oh, but girl. Oh, fuck. She was dubbed the Black Widow by the press and was also frequently referred to as the Curry Killer, which probably shouldn't have made me giggle, but kind of did. You know, the alliterations, they get you. I love an alliteration. I know. I know. After her conviction, Detective Chief Inspector Martin Underhill said, quote, This woman is every man's nightmare. For a decade, she has targeted men sexually, financially, physically. The men of Britain can sleep safe tonight knowing she has been taken off the streets, end quote. However, it should be noted that during their investigation of Julian's death, 
Underhill and his colleagues spent months trying to track down Dina's former partners to see if she had committed potentially criminal acts against further victims. And according to him, quote, there are some we never managed to find. One man we think was a Russian and the other English. We have no idea what happened to them, end quote. Although I couldn't find any information about the missing Englishman they were referring to, investigators discovered that Stoyan Kostov, who Dina had dated sometime in the late 1970s, early 1980s, while she was training as a gymnast in Bulgaria, had been missing since the two had been linked. Investigators stated that, quote, some sort of incident seems to have happened in Bulgaria, but we don't know what it was, end quote. To this day, Kostov has never been found, and it's still unknown what happened to him. In April 2022, the parole board announced they would consider Dina Thompson's case for release and publish their decision in May. Reported to have been a model prisoner, by that time she was already being held in an open prison with day release provisions. While incarcerated, she had taken part in rehabilitation courses, therapy, training, and had taken up art, which she began selling. Apparently, she's a master cross-stitcher, and in addition to making a sleeveless dress made of ring poles and wool, she also created a collection of cakes made of felt, which she had successfully sold. Sean McDonald, the officer who led the investigation into Dina, expressed his concern at her potential release, saying, quote, I believe she will reoffend. She won't be able to stop herself. Uh, yeah. She has no remorse, but will be the model prisoner and say all the right things. How much is homegirl going to fucking make off of an Etsy shop making you cross-stitch and shit? <laughs> Not as much as you would conning a bunch of fucking Lonely Hearts men out of their Literally money. Literally, what the fuck I'm saying, Amy? Yes! Her potential release concerns me and everybody who has been involved with her, end quote. Richard Thompson also hoped his ex-wife, who he described as pure evil, would remain in prison, saying, quote, She definitely tried to kill me, and they proved that she had murdered her second husband. So she would have been a serial killer if she had been successful. And God knows what else she has done, end quote. Which, like, facts. We talk about this all yes. the time with, like, just because you failed at murdering somebody, like, doesn't mean you should get less of a sentence than if you had succeeded. Yeah. Just because you suck at it doesn't mean yeah. the intent was still there. Or because Richard Thompson's a badass and was like, not today, bitch. That's fucking right. Thank you. Unfortunately, despite these concerns, on May 23rd, 2022, the parole board stated that they were satisfied by her progress in prison and announced that her release had been granted. They believed that the money she earns from the sale of her artwork would reduce the risk of reoffending. So a month later, in early June, 61-year-old Dina Thompson was officially released from prison after serving 19 years. She has restrictions imposed on who she contacts, her movements and activities while on parole, and will have to disclose any new relationships, provide details of vehicles she uses, as well as her passport and bank details when required. She also has to wear an electronic monitor and adhere to a curfew. Despite her release, Underhill believes she still poses a danger and that the authorities must keep a close eye on her. In August 2022, Dina was photographed out shopping and remains free to this day. And that is the story of the murder of Julian Webb and the attempted murder of Richard Thompson by the Black Widow and con woman Dina Thompson, formerly Dina Webb, born Dina Holmes, and also known as the Curry Killer. UK, you dropped the ball. Like, hard. What the fuck? I don't get it. The lies. 
and just and I don't know if it's that if it's that thing that it's so outlandish it has to be true that that's what the thought process is maybe she also is just like by all accounts a master manipulator she is just super believable she is one of those people who can just lie at the drop of a hat and it sounds completely true you've met those people before I know you have oh for sure absolutely yes it's like when you're a compulsive liar like this guy's really good at it yeah I just (laughs) I mean I'm just struck by the audacity the audacity it's so severe it's so severe the lies were so outrageous a dude was living on a fucking park bench for three fucking years three and giving her his years. I'm never going to get over that as long as I live. Ever. I know because you know the fucking Disney mafia was after him basically. Like what the <laughs> fuck? What the fuck? Oh my. And, and with all of this, she never even started the fucking toy company. No, it's insane. I was not prepared for the level of the lies how could you be and i just couldn't get over the fact that this woman actually might be a serial killer like they couldn't find two of her former partners they don't know what happened to them yeah she for sure killed her second husband and tried to kill her third like what you know it's always my mom says this a lot the first time you do something is always the hardest oh yep gets easier yep yeah sure Mm-hmm. definitely serial killer for sure and she's free. She's been paroled. She's living her life, going shopping. Yep. I could not get over this. That's fucking wild, yo. Like, all of it. Insane. This was one of those stories where, like, because the articles, like, just focused on, like, her poisoning of the husband, I, like, there wasn't enough information for my taste. Like, I could have used a little more detail. Yeah. And the Deadly Woman episode, it's like three stories in one. So you, it's like 15 yeah, for minutes. Sure. They definitely yeah. just like hit the bullet points, the highlights. Salacious voiceover. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There is apparently a book about this case called The Black Widow. Okay. But it was one of those, by the time I realized there was a book, it was, it was too late. You're like, we're recording tomorrow. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I don't have time to read a book on this. So, yeah. but maybe I'll check that out later and I'll, I'll do a part two or a something. Little, like update. Yeah. Thank you so much for that story. What the fuck? I've never heard of this. Seriously. I was surprised I hadn't heard of it either. It is a very what the fuck story. The audacity. I can't. Yeah. I truly just find myself stunned at the audacity. Yes. Thank you for your story. I loved going into the Twilight Zone for a hot minute. I mean, girl, I love the Twilight Zone. It's so good. It's so good. I love you. I love you. And we love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. This is another fucking horror podcast. I'm Monique Sanchez. And I'm Amy Traden. You can find me on the gram at pinupgirlmo. You can find me at lobotomy, and that's lobot period Amy. Follow the show on the gram at another fucking horror podcast. It's working. Huzzah. Every sixth episode, we do a True Listener Tales episode where we read you your true crazy stories. So if you have one or you just want to say hi, email us at anotherfuckinghorrorpodcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. And if you like the show, tell a friend, tell multiple friends, and leave us a review. Reviews help us uh, get more visibility. And if you leave a good one, we will definitely read it on the air. And the more reviews we get, the more visibility we get. And hopefully that means that we can do this full time sooner rather than later. Guys, we're so obsessed with you. Stay warm out there. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.